Bethel uh, with uh, Good Friday. We'll celebrate Good Friday. We'll celebrate Easter Sunday. Uh, and we're going to be celebra- celebrating the Passover as well on this, this coming um, Sunday as we talk about the Passover and see uh, that awesome, amazing festival and, and tradition and how that relates to and points to uh, Jesus Christ. So uh, what, here's, here's the details of what the Seder is. Some people are confused about what to do. It is a, a church fellowship. It's a potluck. We want you to come and be a part of that. It starts at 5 o'clock. Bring your dish, whatever you like, okay? Uh, you don't have to bring a Passover-esque dish if you don't want to. Uh, if you do, if you'd like to participate and maybe try, try a, a recipe or, or something that might kind of go along with the theme, there are some recipes on the kiosk out in the lobby, but please, please bring your casserole. That's the famous one. We want that casserole, okay? Um, so bring that, and, uh, and, and if you don't bring something, we're not going to eat. We're, we are participating together. No, no one's providing the food for us. Uh, and then uh, once we eat and have that fellowship together, uh, then we'll have a representative from Jews for Jesus who's out of the Bay Area. He'll be up here to present the, the meaning of all the elements of the Passover dinner, the Seder dinner, and, and, and show the, the rich fullness of how each one of those elements points to Jesus and our redemption that we can find in him. So it's going to be an amazing time. Maybe some of your friends want to come out and be a part of that and to see it. it it's really awesome looking at this Old Testament Passover story from, uh, from the Exodus out of Egypt. And, and correlating that to, to God's Passover lamb, who is Jesus Christ. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing time. So please be aware of that. Come out to that. Be a part of that. That's next Sunday at 5 p.m. So we'll, we'll have church like normal. We'll go home and have a little, little grub, make your casserole, come back, and uh, we'll have fellowship and, uh, and really a rich time of seeing Christ in the Passover. The second thing I want to make you aware of, and it's in your bulletin as well, and it's been talked about, is our leadership slash uh, teachers training day. Uh, April 13th. We have representatives from our Southern Baptist Convention out of Fresno who are coming up to help train us and lead us and equip us uh, to be better leaders, to be better teachers. And, and here's what I want you to understand about that. Um, that is for anybody and everybody, okay? Now, in our church, not anybody and everybody can be a teacher or leader. There are qualifications. We follow Scripture in that. But we want you to, to get that information. We want you to maybe be stirred by God and by, by the content there that day and, and maybe equipped to a, in a place where you're like, yeah, you know what? I can teach. I can lead. I should be doing that. Uh, some of you came to a leadership dinner a, f- a few months ago and expressed interest in being a teacher or leader, leading in a, in a small group or a Sunday school class. This is how you, you, you're equipped. If you're already a teacher, we want you to be there. If you're not one, we want you to be there. Uh, we're going into a season where we want to see a fuller discipleship happening at our church. And that just doesn't happen from the pulpit to, to the pew. It happens in the pews. It happens in the classrooms. It happens in the homes. And we want to equip the saints for ministry, that kind of ministry, to disciple and, and to be discipled by others, okay? So please be a part of that. Well, um, you're going to get uh, some, some, a book there to, to take home. You're going to get some content. You're going to get lunch provided. It's from th- uh, 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock that day or thereabouts. Um, so we'd love to have you come be a part of that, that day. Uh, see Alistair in the kiosk at the kiosk after church. Uh, you can sign up. It is $10 for the fee to pay for those materials, but well worth the, uh, the investment and the time. I would love it if you could be a part of that. I don't think we've had representatives from the state convention or even like a leadership conference, a training conference at our church for probably a decade. So it's a really, really great opportunity uh, to take advantage of that. All right. I think that's it for that stuff. Let's, uh, let's talk about the Word, okay? Yeah. We're in Matthew chapter 18. And uh, we're going to be looking at the passage of Scripture between verses 15 and 17 today. Uh, before we get there, I, you know, we just got back from our vacation uh, to Montana. We spent two weeks uh, on the road and at my, uh, week, a little, little under a week at my mom's house. Um, two days travel each way, by the way. We, you know, with kids, you take two days to get there, two days to get back. But we've kind of made an experience of that. We stop at a hotel, and we go swimming in the pool and have a good time on the way. And uh, then we spent some time at my dad's house, 
uh, in Libby, and got to see my brother and his wife as well. So really great time, refreshing time. Uh, super glad to be back. Uh, today, if I'm being honest, I'm super glad to be back. Um, yesterday, I was like, oh, I'm back. Uh, come on. But it was a nice day. The sun was out. Kind of got me, got me going, and I was excited. So I, I, really, I really did miss you, and uh, seeing your faces today is just so much joy to be together. Um, really neat today is kind of a, a lead into the sermon. Um, I, I, going on vacation is no easy task, especially when you have two little, little kids that can't do much on their own, you know, like carry the big totes that they, you want them to pack. So here's the interesting thing. As, as I'm leaving, we're heading out on the road, and, and you get in that mentality of it's vacation. We're, we're, we're away from work. We're away from responsibilities. We're away from having to be a parent. And that is not the case at all, is it? I mean, the back seat has two examples. <laughs> Bailey and Wesley are right there. They, they came with us, right? And we wanted that, of course. But in my, I don't know why, but in my mentality, as we leave, it happens every time. Oh, yeah, we're going on vacation. This is going to be great. And then there's bickering in the back seat that starts going on. Can you just give me a break? I mean, you know, it's like, it's crazy, right? You want to go on vacation. I remember when I was a little kid, my, my mom recounts this story often. But, but I was just, my, my brother, I have a younger brother, three years younger. He's, he was a little bit of a thorn in my side, right, a pain in the neck. But he, w- he was a standard brother. He, he tried to poke at me and, and jab at me. And he, even, he's even apologized to me recently. He's like, Brandon, I saw a home video, and I saw it was your birthday, and, and I was sitting next to you, and I was messing with you like crazy, and you were so patient. I'm like, yeah, right. And, but I was. I was trying to be patient with him, and, and I just, sometimes I wasn't so patient. But my brother would just keep on poking at me and jabbing. He's like, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm still not touching you. I, you know, it's like, yeah, you're not, but you're really bothering me. And one day I got fed up with it, apparently. And my mom recounts, she's like, Brandon said, I need a vacation from my brother. <laughs> and I probably did. I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, it, uh, it got better over time, though, and, and we're, uh, we're really great friends now. But, but that was it. I, I was in that mentality of, I need a vacation, and maybe I need a vacation from my kids. And they're benefit to that sometimes, but we had a great time with our kids, and the kids were no worse or better than they always are as just kids. They're just kids, right? But here's what I've, what I've learned over, over the years and what I've learned even on this trip, that I usually respond in one of two different ways. I usually respond in one of two different ways to my children when it comes to discipline and correction and, and re- kind of making them like understand that this is what we should be doing, get with the program. I respond in one of two ways. And today as we, we re- look at the Word, we're going to look at how we restore a brother or sister who's sinned against you or maybe in sin. And this is, this is hard. This is tough to do. Because I think in this mentality, we also respond in these two ways. Here's how I respond to my kids. One way I respond to my kids is in a reactionary mode of frustration. I respond to them in frustration. This is how it started on the trip, right? I'm on vacation. Can you just be quiet and leave me alone? Right? It's that mentality of frustration. And frustration is, it has to do with wanting to have control. I want things to be lined up the way they should be, and this is how it should be. Frustration leads to me saying, I want control. That's one way I, I respond and react to my kids. I mean, do I, anyone, amen? Okay, it's not just me. But there's a way I want to respond to my kids that isn't always that way, right? And, and the way I want to respond to my kids is in love. Not to control them, but to, to, to love them and to guide them and correct them and influence them. Right? So I want my, my parenting to be not of that of control, out of anger and frustration, but that of, out of, of influence, right? Out of, out of correct discipline and out of love. I want to love my children so they understand it. And here, here's where the difference is. Control is, is one of those things, and we kind of saw it in the video. I, I caught it with Pharaoh's control. Uh, you know, he had, had uh, the, the Israelites under, the, under his thumb. 
if I control, I can make it look like it's in control. I can make it look like it's all in, in, in control, but in the heart it's not, right? It, it's got a facade on the outside, but the heart isn't right. Whereas if I, if I switch gears and go into the influence mode of coming out of love and correction, right, and, and, and discipline, if it comes out of love and a spirit of gentleness, influence leads to people wrapping their heart around it. There are days I want my kids just to do what I say because it's very imperative you do what I say. But most of the time, my goal is to try and love them and influence them so they can wrap their heart around what I'm trying to speak to them. Amen? Now, that, that's kind of the, the intro and segue into my sermon today. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a little bit of a tough one. It, and it was, I've had this on my heart and my mind for, for several, several months, maybe even close to a year, to share. And I think it's very important for us to share this. Uh, the sermon title is Restoring a Brother or a Brother and Sister Who Has Sinned Against You or Is in Sin. Restoring. And I, I want us to be very careful with this. Because we, in our frustration, in our anger, even if we've been victimized, can be very quick to react, can't we? Can be very quick to be frustrated. Can be, can, be, can be very quick to become angry. And that leads us to wanting to be in control and get even and get justice. Now, there's a righteous indignation we should have. I and mean, Jesus had that. We should, we should hate what God hates and love what God loves. But when we talk about loving our, or restoring our brother and sister in Christ, we're talking about restoring them back to a relationship with us, with the church, and with God. And we're drawing them back into that with love and influence, with grace. And we want to influence them towards that place of wrapping their heart around what you've said and what the Word says so they can come back into fellowship with God. That's such an important aspect of this. So today might be a little bit of a tough sermon. Um, maybe all of them should be. All sermons should be, right? If we look to the Word. And it might challenge us in some ways, and I, I pray that it does. I hope that, that we can kind of get to the core in our heart of, of what God wants from us as a church individually and what God wants us to do in, in love with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray and we'll get to our text, okay? Father, thank you so much for your great love that you have just lavished on us. You've rained it down on us through Christ crucified on the cross. You have pursued us, God, in a, in a gentle, loving, humble way that if we would come to you in faith, that you would restore us and restore the relationship we, we had with the Father. We want to stand before you clean with a righteousness that could never be our own because of us, but is given to us by Jesus Christ. Today, as we look to your word, we ask that you would challenge us that you would change us, that you would open our hearts and our minds to be receptive to what you have to say for us. God, if there's something we need to confess and repent of, please help us to do that and help us do it swiftly. God, if there's a brother or sister that needs our love and attention, may you help us to lovingly rep reprove or rebuke or speak into their lives for the purity of, of their life, for the holiness of the church, and for your glory. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is a rich, rich text, and, and interestingly enough, the text here, if you look at it, uh, it before the passage we're going to read, Jesus is talking about this childlike faith and the, don't hinder the children from coming to me. And it's interesting as we talk about children and childlike faith, he segues into discipline. Well, it's, it's interesting, but it lines up, doesn't it? When we talk about discipline, we think about children. And what we really need to understand is that if we would come to Christ in that humble, childlike faith and allow him to discipline us, the children he loves, we could become obedient children of him as well. So we need to have that childlike faith, and it's interesting how that connects here as well. So we're in Matthew chapter 18, looking at verses 15 through 17 today. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he won't listen, take one or two others with you, 
so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact may be established. If he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. If he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like a Gentile and a tax collector to you. Now, we're going to stop there. That, there's, a, there's a lot of text here. There's a lot of richness here. And, and I'll say this, you know, even as I went to prepare this and give this today, uh, the fullness of this can't even be explained today. There is a, there's an individual aspect to this, and there is a collective corporate church aspect to this as well. And you'll, you'll see that just in what we read, and I'll mention of that a little bit. But today we're going to really dive into the individual aspect of this text. What does this text mean for us individually as Christ followers? All right, so we're going to be talking about restoring a brother or sister in sin, and we're going to go to number one. Restoring a brother or sister in sin has to do with holiness. Has to do with holiness. So before we even get to the thing like, how do I do it? What do I do? How what do I say? We have to understand that this, the stage is set because God is holy. And because God is holy, he is asking us who are his children to be holy as well. This is about holiness. Uh, listen, there is a way that is right. And there is a way that is not. And, and I want you to go back to the idea of rearing children in your home. When you, when you gave to your children, when you loved your children, when you disciplined your children, when you taught your children, there was a way that you felt was right. Now, we as parents do not model this perfectly, do we? We are not perfect parents. Man, alive, I am not a perfect parent. But I know who is a perfect father. So the example as we go through our text, the example of, of discipline and rebuke and correction and pursuing our children should not be our example as the supreme. It should be God the Father's example of the supreme father pursuing his children with Christ the Son to redeem us and restore us into fellowship with the Father who is in heaven, who is holy and perfect and pure. So you, you think about your house and my house. Parents, parents are hoping that their children will model the values of their home, right? Uh, think about your home. I think about my home. Maybe we said this, not under my roof, Junior. Right? You're not going to do that if you live here. Right? We said that before, haven't we? Well, you know you have. In my house, this is how we do it. You may think that's how you do it there. This is how we do it in my house. You, you're, you set up and establish some rules, and sometimes they're prideful and arrogant like I just spoke, but oftentimes they're, this is how we are. And what, what you're doing, what you're hoping as a parent is that your children become well-rounded individuals, well-rounded and well-presented human beings, that when they interact with the public, they don't embarrass you, right? That's your, that's your real thought. I mean, you don't want them to get hurt. You want them to succeed. But, but they and their lives are a reflection of what? You and me. That's why parents, we want to have our children model the values at home. I want my kids to go out, and as they go out and interact and are in the public and the community, I want them to show off what they value and what we value as a home. I want, I want my name and our reputation as a family to, to be seen as something good, not something that's tarnished. Now, that's nice and all, but ultimately, for Christians, for Christ followers, what I really want in my children is to reflect the glory of God. Because I, I cannot be the Savior for the world. So whatever we model in our home, yes, I want you to follow. But man alive, please, as you go out there, reflect the holiness and purity of God. If we are to call ourselves Christ followers, we are to be modeling what God has modeled for us. Amen? That's, that's what's important. Now, here's the problem. Today, confronting sin in church has kind of become a rarity. Because we have become passive as, as Christ followers to, to confrontation and passive to Christ followers because there's this mentality in culture that says, just live and let live. Don't, d d mind your business. Don't, don't get involved. Don't meddle. It's not kind. It's not nice to meddle. 
That's, that's what we've been programmed to do. And Scripture would argue that and say the opposite of that. And we're going to see that today. As we, as we talk about confronting a brother or sister in sin, um, I, I want us to turn to 1 Peter. Let's, let's go there together. 1 Peter chapter 1, towards the end of the book, almost to Revelation. 1 Peter chapter 1. I want, I want us to see this charge that we're given, but Peter, Peter encourages us and exhorts us uh, in and actually quotes from the Old Testament. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're looking at verses 13 through 16. And, and, and as we go through this, you're going to see a progression, I think, that, that I, like, I would like to see in my home, uh, and I think God would like to see of his children in, as part of his home and kingdom. It says, Therefore, with your minds ready for action, be sober-minded and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now pause there. There is hope and grace to be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's hope and grace there. Not control, not strict judgment and, and, and this, 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 let's get you in here and get you out. You're going to jail. It's, there is grace and hope right there. God wants to give us this grace and hope. And this is how he influences us. See, God pursued us while we were separated from God. We were all sinful. We've all made mistakes. God pursued us in his love, in his grace, through Christ crucified on the cross, that we could be restored back to him. See, he's influencing us with his grace. His son died on the cross, shedding his blood to cover our sins, and he offered that as a free gift to us. He said, I really, I really wish you to take this. I really wish you to accept this. I really wish you would receive the gospel, believe the gospel, to be saved from your sin. It was this gift. And through his grace, he was influencing us to become children of God. There was no control there. There was no, no you, need to, you have to, you have to. We were already separated from God. He didn't need to condemn us. We were already standing condemned. We'd all sinned. We'd all fallen short. We were all separated. We were all out of fellowship. The restoration he was offering was this free gift. I, I can offer this to you. I'm, I'm giving this to you. I'm influencing you with grace and love from the cross. Please don't resist. Please believe it. Embrace it. So we start with that hope and that grace. Then in verse 14 it says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance. So at some point here there was a former ignorance, a way of life that I thought was right, that I thought I should, should live like and, and that I pursued. There's something in my mind that was more important than, than God. At some point it was a former way of life. But after hope and grace, what it's saying is become obedient children. Right? You're, you're obedient children. And that's what happens in discipline with children. If you want to talk about parenting, if we would parent with grace and hope and love, if we would correct and discipline children with influence, they would become obedient children from the heart. That's what God is doing for us. They're providing Christ on the cross as, a, as this influence, this grace to you. And I want you to embrace that grace. I want you to know that grace. I want you to have the freedom. Please believe. And then as we believe, we become obedient children. If we're obedient children, we do not conform to the desires of our former way. We don't think like that anymore. We don't act like that anymore. We're, we're of a new family. We're of a new household. God would say, under my roof, this is how we live. This is what we do. And it says in verse 15, he says, But as the one who called you is holy, our Father in heaven, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. You and I have a charge to be holy. It says, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Be holy because I am holy. So we have this influence, this grace, 
presented to us, and we're in a former way of life, a different way of thinking, right? And God is correcting us and giving us this opportunity to see grace and love and hope found in Jesus Christ. And when we embrace that, when we believe the gospel, it changes everything. We become children of God, and his desire is through that influence, we become obedient children of God, empowered by the power of his spirit to obey. And as obedient children of God, we are not going to conform into the desires of our old ways. We are going to live new lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. And all of our conduct will line up with Him. And we are going to strive to model what's important to our Father who is in heaven. Amen? That's what we're to do. In the church in America and around the world, this happens, especially with culture the way it is. It says, you and I should just live and let live. Come in here and kind of get fed and kind of get your ears tickled and kind of feel good and leave and go and do your thing. What God is saying, he is saying, I am your holy father. I had to do that to bring you to myself. Honor me, resemble me, model me in everything that you do so people can come to know me as Savior. We are to be a model, a, a light, a city on a hill shining into the darkness, piercing that darkness so that people can see the glory of God and the salvation found in Jesus Christ. That's what this is about. It's about a holiness thing. So before we even get started with confronting a brother or, or sister in sin, we have to understand that your call and my call as a Christ follower is to fall in line with the Father and to do what He wants us to do. And that, that's hard. You think your kids are stubborn. You think my kids are stubborn. Think about our own hearts, looking at ourselves in the mirror, saying, I don't want to do that, God. I want to do what I want to do. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. And you know what? We have to, as brothers and sisters, we have to call each other out on that. Hey, you're not representing dad very well. Hey, you're not modeling what the kingdom is supposed to be modeled here. You look like the rest of the world. Come on, let's go. Be a brother, be a sister, be a son, be a daughter. That's what we're to model. We're to model this holiness of God. As we study the word of God, we can't deny that there's this deep concern that God has for his holiness to be on display. And not only his holiness from himself to be on, dis on display, but his holiness to be on display through his church. That people would see the holiness of God because of you and I. So if God is concerned about his holiness and about our holiness, then we ought to be concerned about our holiness too. Here's the deal. The church you and I cannot preach and teach a message that we do not live. We cannot preach a message that we do not live. How many people in the, in the, in the community, in your area, or in, in, in the world at large have the same excuse? I'm not going to that church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. And it's true a lot of the time. Why? Because we don't take holiness seriously. We don't pursue to be pure. Now listen. We can't be perfect. Jesus makes us perfect by his righteousness, and he calls us to live holy. But when we mess up, he calls us to repent of that sin, to humble ourselves, to seek forgiveness and seek restoration. That's what he wants us to do. But if all we're doing is sinning and saying one thing and sinning all the more, people look at the in the world and say, what is going on? It doesn't, doesn't work. It doesn't fit, right? God's saying, I, I want you to live a life that's humble, that, that repents of sin, that restores your relationship with people and with me, and that will always then point to the Father. I, I, I love the fact when people repent. I love when, when I repent, when I know that there's this fullness that comes. There's this, this restoration that comes. There will be times where people will come in my office and want to tell on you. You know that? Do you know so-and-so in your church? Well, so, sure I do. They're in my church. Well, they did this, this, and this. And it drives me nuts 
It drives me, it, it, what, you know what really drives me nuts? Is when they come in and I have no idea that you did that. I have no idea that, that you, you sinned and that you're living in sin. I have no idea that, that that's, that's such a hardship for you because you, you didn't say, I, I need help. You didn't say, I need, I need to repent. I need forgiveness. I need some help here. That, that's the hardest thing about it. But you know what I love? When, when you do repent, when you have dealt with it, when you've got your person or your people around you praying for you and encouraging you, holding you accountable, when that yahoo comes in the, my office and says, guess what so-and-so did? You know what I can do? I can say, you know what? They did. You're right. And they've come and they've, they've repented of that. They've confessed their sin to their brothers. They are, we're praying for them. We're encouraging them. We want to hold them accountable so that they can live a life that looks like Jesus. We, we are in deep prayer for them. Would you pray for them too? That shuts everybody up. Right? Because that is real, genuine desire for holiness when we repent of sin. It's, it, it's not a, a shameful thing. Jesus took the shame. We mess up. We make mistakes. We're tempted. We need each other. We need each other. And, and be, before we can count on each other, we have to be able to count on you and I being pure and holy and desiring that. If you don't want to pursue holiness, you're in the wrong place. This is God's church. This is his house. We're his children. If you want to be someone else's children, go be someone else's children. We are not here to make a church of us. We're here to be a church of God. He is our king. So talking about restoring a brother or sister has to always begin with holiness. This has to do with holiness. Deep, deep holiness. Number, uh, oh no, before that, Proverbs. Go to Proverbs. You thought we were done there. I, I don't know. Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 11 and 12 together. I want us to see now that we've kind of established this holiness idea of, of this is important, right? This is important that we pursue holiness. We know we can't be holy as, as perfect as he is holy. We'll never be, on this side of heaven, never be totally perfect. But we will pursue him. We will pursue holiness. We will pursue repenting and, and, and restoration every single time we make a mistake. So in Proverbs, I, I want us to talk about this next part of holiness. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. It says, Do not despise the Lord's instruction, my son, and do not loathe his discipline. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. You see this joyous relationship? See, there's a resentful relationship. What's happening is a child can loathe the discipline of the father. And that's, that's too bad, right? That's, that's, a, that's a shame. When your children loathe discipline, like, like oh, you're just trying to rule me. No, I'm trying to correct you. I'm trying to, and that's why influence is so important. Love is so important. We do this out of gentleness, out of a spirit of love in a way that speaks to the heart of people. I tell you what, I, I, as my kids get older and older, that frustration model, reacting out of frustration, is working less and less and less. It is, and, but you know what's working better and more and more and more? is me sitting down, quieting my voice, drawing them close, whispering to them, speaking to them, hugging them, and then they, they break. It's like, oh, I, okay, I get it. Raising my voice, getting angry, getting frustrated, they didn't, they didn't fall in line, this doesn't work anymore. Right? It's just, it, it, once in a while, like, stay out of the road. But overall, it's that quiet, humble, gentle, loving influence that will speak to and touch a heart. So on, on this verse, we need a couple things. One, we need to know that we, as daughters and sons of God, should not loathe his discipline. Why? Because God, in, in his delight for his children, in his love for you and for me, desires to discipline those he loves. We need to welcome discipline. And we need to understand outside of that that discipline is a good thing. 
Look to your neighbor and say, discipline's a good thing. It's not very easy, is it? But discipline is a good thing. And more, more importantly, let's go to the next passage in, in Proverbs 13. Go to Proverbs 13 with me. I'm going to start a quote and you finish it, okay? Spare the rod. Yeah, let's see what that really says. <clears throat> Proverbs 13, 24. And that's, that's true, by the way, but let's, 13, 24, look at this. The one who will not use the rod hates his son. That, that kind of gets me like a kick in the teeth. Like, I, I mean, I love my son. And what, what the scriptures is telling me is that the one that will not use the rod hates his son. The one that will, and, and let's go on, it says, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. Now, we're not going to hear debate, you know, going out and getting a stick or a switch or a, uh, whatever. We're not here to, to, to talk about that. But what I would say is this, that what the scripture is talking about here is diligent discipline. Diligent discipline. And, and it's one thing to say something to your children, say, here's the standard, here's what you want you to do, here's how you should, you should obey, and then to do nothing about it when they disobey. Okay, that's letting them run amok. And, and, what, and, and children, we understand that. We kind of get that. Like, oh, yeah, that's true. I probably, I probably should say something. Sometimes it's my wife and I, we're, we're like sitting there and like looking at each other. Whose turn is it? Like, are you going or am I going? Like, we don't want to do this. We have to do this because we delight in our children. We love our children. So the one who disciplines their children diligently loves them. But if we don't, what it's saying is if we do not discipline our children diligently, what? We, we hate them. We're showing a sense of hate to them. I don't care about you. I don't do whatever you want. That's, that is not love. And, and we understand that with children. I want us to get it a, a deeper connection. We hide behind the guiles of, I don't like confrontation. We hide behind this passivity of, let's live and let live. We hide behind, you know what, it's just not loving to go and show them all their stuff, what's going on, and like to confront them. And Scripture says, eh, wrong answer. It's actually unloving if we don't diligently discipline, right? It's unloving to not say something. And it is very, very loving to practice it, if you're practicing it in love. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. But this holiness is such a huge thing. We have to understand it starts with holiness, that God wants his holiness to be on display, and he wants his church, his children, to, to model that and to show that and show his shine for Jesus, this holiness. And that discipline as we discipline one another, as we re rebuke one another, as we go and talk to one another who have sinned against us, it is out of love that we do that. And to not do that is actually saying, I don't really care about you. I don't care about your spiritual life. I don't care about your well-being. I don't care about the fact that this is going to unravel your family or your, your work or, or the witness of God. But see, we have to have a different mindset. An urgency in our heart that says, this is wrong and this is going to lead to so many wrong places and ultimately, dragging Jesus through the dirt. So he's not on display for all to see as the Holy One. But what, it, what it, we look like is our, our hypocrites to a God who's maybe indifferent to that. God wants us to be holy. So we must love holiness. We must love the holiness of God. We must love others enough that we do not wink at sin or become more concerned with a calm status quo 
than for the spiritual purity of God's people. Purity is so important. We cannot just accept a calm status quo because we don't want to ruffle feathers. We can't just accept it. We'd be fooling ourselves to think that love tolerates sin. It does not. Love corrects and disciplines. Okay? Number two, restoring a brother or sister is commanded as every believer's responsibility. It's commanded as every believer's responsibility. You know, Scripture says that we all have spiritual gifts. If we have uh, come to faith in Christ, He has given us His Spirit, and in His Spirit, He's given us different spiritual gifts. You might have you better at something than, I'm, than I am, and I'm better at, than you at something else. And I should not try to excel at something I'm very poor at. I should try to excel in the things that God has gifted me in and use those to edify the church. I don't mind practicing and getting better at things, right? But if it's not my spiritual gift, I need to con- be concerned with my spiritual gift. This is not one of those things. Not one of those things that, well, I just don't have it. It's not my job. This is a command from God to every believer. Every believer has been commanded to confront sin. Go back to Matthew 18. Looking at verse 15, the first part, it says this. If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If his brother sins against you, and it's inferred that you are the person that's supposed to go and rebuke them in private. You or me or whoever's reading this. If my brother or sister sins against me, I need to go and talk to them. If your brother or sister sins against you, and not just brother or sister by blood we're talking, we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ and in the faith, that we are to go and rebuke them confront them, reprove them. We'll talk about that word and what that means in a minute. Now, Galatians 6.1, it says this, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves that you won't also be tempted. So we're kind of talking about now some of the hows and what to watch out for, and we'll, we'll see that in a few minutes in, this, in the motive behind restoring a brother or sister. But the important thing is if someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing, we ought to, those who see it and, and have examined their lives and have examined our own heart, should be able to say, listen, this is what I see as an error. Can we talk about this? I want to pursue them so we can restore, right? We want to restore such a person with a gentle spirit. Now, here's what not to do. And here's what happens more often than not. We don't talk to the person. We've been hurt. We've been grieved in some way. We've been deceived. Something's happened against us. We are a victim, and it's really tough. I know it's really tough. In our world, in this day and age, if you're a victim, man, you go to the police, you tell it all, you get a report, they follow up, they take care of it, they arrest the person, they, whatever it is, they get held liable for whatever happened, right? That's how it works. In, in the body of God, certainly I'm not saying that justice shouldn't be served if you've wronged someone in a way that's deeply wrong, right? But we talk about sin in general, and, and you said something, you mentioned something, you, you, you called me something, whatever it might have been. I was hurt. I was offended. Here's what ends up happening. We don't want to confront the brother or sister, so you go to the pastor's office and tell on him. What, what do we do? What do our kids do? Mom, brother did this. Brother, but mom, sister. I mean, all day long. Now, at that age, I'm, I, I want them. I've taught them. If you can't figure it out and talk to them and talk it out in a gentle way with a gentle spirit, please don't throw the incredible Hulk at your brother. You come and you tell mom and dad, and we'll take care of the situation. But we are encouraging them, bringing them together, right? We, we bring them, come here, come here, come here, Bailey, come, Wesley, come here. Okay, you're going to talk to each other, right? And, and the big thing we just started doing was this, that, you know, we'd say, I'm, I'm sorry. Then they say that, sorry, brother, it's okay. 
and we stop that. I, I may have mentioned that before. We don't say it's okay anymore. Because it's not okay for you to sin against me. It's not okay for me to sin against you. What we're learning now is forgiveness. You can forgive someone. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I forgive you. But it's that communication, that talking. Let's, let's understand what you've done wrong and why that, why that was wrong. Going and telling on your brother or sister in Christ is not the solution, by the way. Scripture says if your brother or sister has sinned against you, go tell pastor, go tell your small group, go tell your little committee, go tell your best friends, go to lunch and make sure the waitresses can chime in about it. That is not what Scripture says. That is not helpful. Oh, but Brandon, it's, I shared it for prayer. Sure you did. Sure you did. Go deal with it. Go deal with it. If, if you can't deal with it, then come talk to me. Then come share for prayer. And then, and then bring a person with you and go and try to deal with it again. And if it doesn't work, then you, can, then you, gotta go, go, then you go to the pastor's office. Then you talk. And then we bring it up as a church. And there's a lot of stuff in there about that. And we're going to talk hugely in that today. But it's not the responsibility of your small group leader, your Sunday school teacher, your pastor to confront your brother or sister who sinned against you. It's yours. And it's mine for me. Every believer has the individual responsibility to confront and to restore for the purpose of restoration. I, I thought about putting a sign out, a little placard on my desk because this happens all the time. The placard would say, wait, have you talked to them yet? Brandon, I, I got this. Wait, no. Have you gone talk? No, but you don't. No, wait, but you don't get the. No, I don't. I don't want the information. Have you talked to them yet? No, but no, no. Go and gently talk to and love your brother or sister who has sinned against you, and try to restore them and restore the relationship that you had with them, and restore the relationship they need to have with Christ. See that they repent of their sin and that they they're restored. Don't come talk to me. And make me fix it. You are to go. And see, here's what happens. I want you to think about this. It, oftentimes, if you have erred against somebody, if you have sinned in some way, if you've hurt somebody, I know this is true in my life, I often don't even know it. I've said something. I've done something. I've looked at them a certain way. I, I tell people all the time, I kind of can be sarcastic sometimes, and sometimes I don't clean it up at the end. So I walk away, and the sarcasm just kind of lingers, lingers out there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't want that to happen. Listen. If I have sinned against you, I want you to come to me and say, Brandon, you may not know, but this, this happened, and this is what you said, and it, it just hurt me in a deep way, and I, I, I haven't been able to move on yet. That is going to break my heart, and it's going to cause me to, to say, I'm so sorry, or, man, I did not mean that that way. That's not what I meant. I'm sorry. That's what was conveyed. I need to be better at communicating. I am so sorry. And the people who have actually done that to me, before, before we had the little confrontation, something was askew. I didn't know what, but our relationship went bad. Something was wrong. And then when they finally confronted me, we finally had that opportunity to be restored together, the relationship got a lot better, especially in a kindred spirit where I didn't know I was wrong. Now, there are times, even if you confront your brother or sister, that relationship may not be totally restored. You may not be able to be best friends again there was a deep hurt. But that, that person, the individual, still needs to repent, confess their sin, repent, and, and be restored to fellowship. It's, it's hard sometimes trusting someone again, though, right? I get that. But we still have to pursue them 
We pursue them as the victim. I know it's hard, right? We pursue the offender. And it is our job if they confess. It's our job if they don't, right, to forgive them and move on. But it's, it's our responsibility to go to them and say, please, you need to understand from my heart of what has happened. This is how I've been offended. Now, it's much, much better for me if you would come to me and say that rather than to learn one day that you came in and said, Brandon, listen, I talked to my wife about this, and she thinks I should do this. And then, you know, but I got some more opinion. I went to my construction crew, and we were talking about this issue and the thing you did. And then I went to a small group, and I made sure they, they knew for prayer that we could pray about this situation. And they were understanding what's going on. And then they said I should talk to a couple other elders in the church. So I went to some of the church council people, and, and I shared it with them. And, and listen, we're all on board that you need to repent of your sin. How bad do I feel right now? How, how much division has been created now? How much hurt has been created now? How much tension is there now? Why? Because you failed to come to me. Or I failed to go to you. If it doesn't have to get between beyond one or two people, the two of you, praise God. Let the, let the handle or foothold or stronghold that Satan was trying to, to, to latch on disappear, dissolve, in repentance and in restoration, and let's flourish again as brothers and sisters. Let's move forward. If it gets big and nasty and gross, that's what Satan wants. He wants us to divide. He wants us to focus on things that shouldn't be focused on. That's his goal. We aren't to do that. We aren't to gossip. If you, if you need wisdom, listen, if you need wisdom, Brandon, I've got a friend, and I'm not going to say names because I don't want the information. I'm not going to say what they did, but, but this is kind of what I'm thinking I should do. Yes, you're right. You should go talk to them. That's, I'm gonna, I'll give you a little bit of wisdom. But, or, or find your small group leader, your Bible study leader, someone wise, and give them, but don't give them this. Just give them this and go do what you're supposed to do, what you know to do anyway. Go try to restore that relationship, restore that brother or sister. Right? It's yours, your responsibility, it's my responsibility to do that. What does it mean to reprove? What does it mean to go and rebuke and correct them? This word, it means this. It means to shed light on. It means to expose. It means to show someone their fault. You can't go to your friend and say, I just, I think you're wrong. And you need to repent of being wrong. Well, that's really specific, isn't it? No, we need to go and say, listen, I've I, I prayed through this. I've studied the scripture. Here's, here's what happened. I don't know if you remember this, but I, I, listen, I love you. Let's start prayer. I'm going to pray right now. God, I, just empty me, empty me, more of us, this relationship. You know, we want this. Restoration. I'm not here to condemn. I'm not here to justify. I'm just here to restore. And we go to the Word and we show them their error and say, listen, this is, this is what I feel. This is how I feel. You're in error. And fine, maybe you need to have a debate and maybe God's going to change your heart and you're going to come over to the right side. I don't know. Or maybe you're going to actually draw them in and show the, shine the light and they're going to see the error in their ways and they'll be able to say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that. You're right. I need to, I need to repent. I need to, to be restored. Will you forgive me? Yes, of course. That's the goal. The goal is not to get even. The goal is not to remain mad, and the goal is to go now, ASAP, because if you don't, your bitterness and anger is going to grow in you, and those emotions are also sins that you'll be acting out upon. You'll hold a grudge, you'll look at someone differently, and you'll have to be called out for that. Go to your brother and sister who are in sin. Number three, restoring a brother and sister in sin must be done with the right motive. It must be done with the right motive. Go back to Matthew 18. Um, we, we go, it says, it, to restore them, we go, go privately. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Here's the motive. What do we want in a confrontation like that? What do we want? We don't want confrontation at all. 
But what do we want? We want restoration. We want to win our brother. We want to, and that, this word is to gain them back. It's the same type of word used on the cross when he redeemed us. He gained us back. He won us back. He bought us back from the dead. It's the same kind of pursuit. I want you to understand that. God is pursuing us. God has pursued us. For those of us who are Christ followers and have believed in him, and for those of you who have not, he is pursuing you. He wants to buy you back, to win you back, that you'd embrace him as Savior. For you and I who are Christ followers, we're going to pursue our friends, our brothers and sisters in the same way God has pursued us. If it means bleeding for them, we're going to bleed. We're going to do whatever it takes to lay down our own life, lay down our own pride for the benefit of that relationship and for sin to be called out and for people to be restored to fellowship. Amen? That is so important. The motive, the right motive. If you won't listen, take one or two others with you so that by the testimony of two or three witnesses, every fact might be established. Long time ago, I've, I've established in my mind, if someone, if someone I love and trust dearly and handles the word rightly, if they come to me and they say I'm wrong, oh man, you better believe I'm not going to rebuke. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm going to look long and hard at my own motives, at my own actions. I'm going to say I'm, I'm probably wrong. But maybe I don't. Maybe I say oh, I'm not wrong. But if two or three of my best friends who love Jesus more than they love me come and tell me the same thing, guess who's probably wrong? I am. That's why we have this pattern. If you can go privately and win your brother and sister, praise God. If they're a little stubborn, they don't quite repent, they don't see that, they're a little angry still, you might have to take a friend with you and say, let's, let's talk about this. We, we've seen this here, Scripture. What are your thoughts? And, and it might take some time. It definitely takes effort. It takes emotion. But it's the right thing to do so we can win our brother back. There's three little things here I want to talk about under this section of motivation. One, it's done in private. It's done in private. We confront our brother and sister in private. And you pursue. If you're the offended, you go and you pursue. You say, hey, can I, can I talk to you alone for a minute? I need, I, or I, I need to set up a time to, to visit with you or pull them aside and say, listen, here's how I'm feeling. And you want to have that private conversation. People might be around, but you don't want that earshot. You don't want that story and that whole thing going on, right? Find a spot to do that. We always offer our offices here. If you want to come down and need a visit or meet with someone on kind of neutral ground, fine, that's fine. But I want you to pursue them. You pursue them. You do it in private. Then it goes in, it says, you, I want you to understand, we do it with personal purity. We have to do, we understand we do it with personal purity. So we do it in private. But before we can even go in private, we have to understand it's about personal purity. I have to reflect on and examine my own heart. It says I should do it when I res restore a brother or sister in Galatians 6, that I should do it with a gentle spirit, a spirit of gentleness, of love, of humility, of, of I am here to, to help you and serve you, and I want this to be restored. My goal is restoration, not to be right. How, guys, you with me on this? This is tough as a guy. Maybe it's tough for you as a gal. I don't know. I, I, I want to be right, right? In my home, I want to be right. And I'll fight an issue till we're both crying because I'm right. And guess who's wrong? I am. That's not how we do it. That's not gentleness. We calm, we think, we pray, we listen, we converse, watching out that we don't also, we don't also fall into the sin or, or tempted as well. Because it's really easy to be tempted to react and be angry, and, right? In Matthew chapter 7, it says this. Jesus says, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye. See, before we can go to our brother or sister in sin, we need to make sure we check ourselves. Are we in sin? 
Or how can you say to your brother, uh, let me take the, the splinter out of your eye, and, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. I, I often think about this illustration about surgery. If you, had, if you had to go under the knife, would you want me to bring a big army combat knife with a bunch of serrations? Or do you want me to bring that scalpel? Right? What's more precise? What's going to make a cleaner cut? And here's, I think this is what I attribute to this with Scripture. You have a log in your own eye. You have this big old knife sticking out there. You're going to go and do surgery on somebody. No, 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 no. You can't, you can't do proper surgery. You can't do proper examination of someone else until you've taken out this big log out of your own eye. Because you're going to be in there with whatever knife you use, not being able to see clearly. And, and you may not even have it all right in your mind of what's going on. You ever thought of that? Maybe you are wrong. Maybe you're just offended and, and, and hurt because of something they said or did, but it was totally right on the dot, but your heart was the one that was needed to be in check. So we examine, is, is it my heart? Yeah, well, it's my heart. Oh, okay, well, I'll take the log out. Okay, I'm good. Oh, there's no speck in there. I right, let's carry on. But, but please take the log out of your own eye before you even try to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother or sister's eye. So we do it in private. Before that, though, we, do it, we, we have to monitor our own personal purity, and we do it for the motivation or in the motivation of their restoration. We, we want their res restoration. It's not about getting even. If you're there to get even, you're wrong. If you're there to get justice, you're wrong. You are there so that they would be repentant and restored back to fellowship with you, with the church, and with God. That's what you're there for. Yeah, there might be consequences. Yes, you might have to deal with some of that, but you want the restoration to happen because we'll walk alongside of each other in consequences. We'll walk alongside of this in the cleanup stuff, but we're going to deal with the issues at the heart. Our concern must be for their holiness and the blessings that come when we are obedient and pursuing holiness. We want them to experience that. We don't want to see their lives unravel, their corner unravel, the church unravel. We want to see God's church be pure and holy. So our concern is also then about the purity and unity of the church. And that's number four. Restoring a brother or sister protects the purity and the unity of the church. It protects, this is a church thing. Again, if we want people to look at our church, we want people to see, see people who are not perfect, but who are, are trusting in Jesus, leaning on Jesus, repenting of their sin, seeking forgiveness, humble, trying to, trying to live a life in, in fellowship and, and a relationship with other people. That's what we want the church to be. Not a bunch of hypocrites who say one thing and don't live it. The, the Matthew verse says in the verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. You've won your brother. This is the win. The win in a church is the win, brothers and sisters, back into relationship and fellowship and restoration. But verse 17, after you've taken your, your friends with you, if he doesn't pay attention to them, tell the church. Okay, so, you, so don't come to me and tell on them, right? You go by yourself, in private, with the right heart for restoration. If you don't get it, you take a friend or two that they might trust with you. Say, listen, they, we're going to say the same things. Let's get on the same page. And hopefully you'll win your brother or sister over. If they don't repent still, then you can take it to the church. Then you can say, listen, we have an issue. There's an unrepentant brother or sister among us who doesn't care about the sin they're in. They're indifferent to God. They're indifferent to our correction. And listen, if you or I are indifferent to correction from a brother or sister that's wise and, and has repented of their own sin, and if we are indifferent to following what God has said is right as a church, then we are not being the children of God. Then we are not modeling the kingdom of God here on earth. And we are in the wrong. 
And what does it say? It continues to, to go on because the purity and unity of the church is important. If there can't be purity in the church, we've got to get the impurity out of the church. You understand that? that I mean, this, the depth of this is crazy. And this is a whole other sermon series we'll talk about later. But when you, when you do not repent, because when, when spiritual people, when people who have come to you in, in, in humble uh, rebuke and loving rebuke to you and you have failed to repent and you fail to repent and you fail to repent, you will be at a place where you may no longer be among us anymore. Because this is about the purity of God's church. Now listen, you're all welcome. We welcome everybody. But what the scripture says is that we treat them as any tax collector or Gentile. People that were reviled and lost in society. We, we love them. Jesus loved them. But, but we're probably on a different level. And here's why. Because if you are unrepentant in your sin when you are confronted with your sin, that means the Spirit of God may not actually actually reside inside of you. You not be having any conviction at all. And we are to treat you like you're probably not even saved. That you need Jesus. And we're going to love you towards Jesus and, and, and try to feed you Jesus and push you towards Jesus and point you towards Jesus and let you know about Jesus. But we're not going to have a small group in my home and my, my kids are not going to listen to what you say. Because we as a family of God are modeling the kingdom of God. Who The Father is the one who gives us the example of that. So there's a fellowship that breaks when there is sin in the midst. A little leaven, what does it say? Ruins the whole batch. And the, and the church can't allow that. This church, the church has to be this pure, united front. That's why when we talk about membership, church membership, there's a, a membership covenant that you sign, that, that you say, yes, I agree to this. I'm an, I, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. I'm going to stand for this. I'm not going to stand for this. I'm going to do this. And if I do this, you have the right to do this. Like, yes, I am, I am in. So we understand there's unity and there's purity that's protected in the church, and it's so important for that. Otherwise, the church might on its own, run them up like my kids. Galatians chapter 2, there, there's a story here where, where Peter had come from Antioch and, and Paul opposed him. He says, I opposed Cephas to his face because he stood condemned. He was regularly eating with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those of the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy. So he was sitting... Peter said, I, I, no, it's not for everybody. I, you're kind of unclean. I can't sit with you anymore. Wait a minute. No, no, we're all brothers and sisters under Christ. No, you're unclean. And he went to sit with just the Jews. Paul's like, what are you doing? Because what happened? The rest of the Jews who might have been becoming friends with these new Christian believers who were Gentiles decided to switch tables too and sit in their own little clique. And it said the rest, a lot of these people were following in this hypocrisy. That is not the way the church is to function. So what did Paul do? He opposed him to his face. He said, you're wrong. This is wrong and this is sin. You need to repent of that sin. It said that, that uh, the rest of the Jews joined in the hypocrisy and that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. Church leaders were like, yeah, I guess this is Peter's doing this. We're going to go on board with this. No, 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 no. Time out. Stop. Let's confront. Because God's church, we need to, in God's church, we need to protect the purity and unity of the church so that the glory of God, the holiness of God is seen, that people see Jesus. Again, we're to be a city situated on a hill. A light that pierces into the darkness. John chapter 13, my last passage today. It's one that's plastered on the wall in our office. It's kind of the theme verse, I think, of our lives in our church. Jesus says, I give you a new command. Love one another. 
See, this idea of purity and unity and confrontation, it sounds hard and tough, but it is in love. It's done in love. He says, love one another just as I have loved you, just as I pursued you, just as I gave my grace to you, just as I drew you to a relationship with myself and restored you after you repented of your sin. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. That same love. By this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So for you and I to pursue holiness and for you and I to pursue purity and for you and I to, to pursue even church discipline and welcome that is for you and I to say we are going to love each other the best that we can. I'm not going to set you aside. I'm not going to overlook your sin. I'm not going to pretend your, your family's not unraveling. We're going to deal with it. And I'm going to love you the best way I know how so that when I love you and when you love me, the world will see that we are his disciples. Not just disciples, but that we are his disciples because we love one another. So let's honor as a church, let's honor the Father who gave us the Son by seeking to be holy as he is holy seeking to repent of sin when we are in error and pursuing our brothers and sisters in love and grace and gentleness that they might understand their error, repent, and be restored back to relationship with God. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray together. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you so much for the grace that you have lavished on us. God, your grace has just rained down and rained down, and you have pursued us in a mighty way, and you pursued us with Christ on the cross through your influence. And God, the, although, you're, yes, you're a wrathful God and you have to punish sin, your wrath was placed on Christ so that you, you could give us freedom, that you could love us and give us grace and extend grace to us. And that, God, that influence of that grace is profound. And, God, we desire to believe the gospel. We desire to be your children. And we desire not only to be your children, but to be obedient children who point to the Father in all that we do. Thank you for modeling what that looks like. Help our hearts to know when we are in error and when we need to repent of our sin. God, help us examine our hearts and desire purity and personal holiness above everything else before we ever look at another neighbor or brother or sister and confront them. But God, when we are in that position where someone has sinned against us or is, is in sin, may you give us the words and the wisdom as we go to them with love and gentleness, seeking their restoration seeking them to be a child of the Father of God and a part of this family. We thank you for that, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close our service, it's our opportunity to respond, and we, we do this every week just to respond. God's stirring in our heart, and whatever he's stirring, we want you to respond. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe you need to pray right where you are and say, God, I need to get right with you. I have this, I have this huge plank that's sticking out of my eye, and I need to take it out. Or God, I, I know that I've had this plank, and I've removed it, and I, I've seen clearly this sin my brother or sister's eye, or in, in their eye, the, the speck in their eye. God, help me to approach them. Help me to, in grace and a spirit of love, approach them and correct them and 